Elijah was a great prophet of God, delivering messages to Ahab, dealing with Jezebel. She had appointed 450 prophets of Baal. Elijah killed every one of those prophets of Baal. Now, we don't kill people today in the New Testament, but we do have the sword of the Spirit of God, which is the Word of God. And as the Holy Spirit brings it to our attention, we speak it. And that sword pierces their heart. Some are saved and some despise the Word of God and go on to destruction. When it is time for Elijah to leave this earth, he is told by God to anoint Elisha for the work of a prophet. Elisha even had a double portion of the spirit of Elijah, and he did so many works and miracles and judgments and pronouncements, and he was used mightily by God. We pick up his story in 2 Kings chapter 2. And it came to pass when they were gone over the river Jordan that Elijah said unto Elisha, Ask what I shall do for thee before I be taken away from thee. And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. And Elijah said, Thou hast asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if thou see me when I am taken up from thee, it shall be so unto thee. But if not, it shall not be so. Verse 11. And it came to pass, as they still went on and talked, that, behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire, and parted them both asunder. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. He would be seen no more. And Elisha saw it, and he cried, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And Elisha saw Elijah no more. And he took hold of his own clothes and rent them in two pieces. He took up also the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and went back and stood by the bank of Jordan. This is going to be the first work done by Elisha as a prophet of God. Verse 14, And he took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and smote the waters and said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he also had smitten the waters, they parted hither and thither, and Elisha went over Jordan. Through the banks of Jordan, through the middle of Jordan, and the waters had parted from Jordan. Verse 15, And when the sons of the prophets, which were to view at Jericho, saw him, they said, The Spirit 
of Elijah doth rest on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed themselves to the ground before him. How did the New Testament church get set up? The Bible tells us. If you will look at Ephesians chapter 4, you will see Jesus from heaven after the crucifixion and resurrection. You will see Jesus setting up the New Testament church. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 8. When he, Jesus, ascended up on high into heaven, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Verse 11, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. From heaven, Jesus calls his ministers, just exactly as he called Paul from heaven. Acts chapter 9. At this period of time, Paul is called Saul. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, of the way of Jesus, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Notice that this voice from heaven called him by name, Saul, Saul. Later he was named Paul. There were other men with him. They saw the light from heaven. They heard the voice from heaven. But the call of God was on the apostle Paul. And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise, go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. He immediately turned from the Jewish people in the sense of the leaders who had been persecuting the followers of Christ. And he became a follower of Christ instantly as soon as the call of Jesus came to him. Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? As soon as this conversation took place between Paul and Jesus, he was changed, born again. That's what being born again is. I was born again August the 5th, 1975. 
I heard a voice saying to me, Joan, you know those mistakes you've been making all these years? Those weren't mistakes. Those were sins. And I said, sins? I thought they were mistakes. Sin was revealed to me by God. And he called me by name. Joan, you know these mistakes you've been making? He called me by name. The call of God on my life. No one can put himself into the ministry by his own will. You must be called by God. John chapter 15, verse 16, Jesus says, Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. You've not chosen Jesus. He chose you when you are chosen by God. He reveals himself to you. God reveals him to you. And all of a sudden, you see. God opens your eyes to see. And you believe because God gave you the ability to believe at that point. And that is being born again. And you're instantly changed by God. You don't work to change. You're instantly changed. Now, we learn things as we go through the years. And God reveals additional things to us. And we live in those things. And we're changed from within by the Holy Spirit. But this is not like making a New Year's resolution. I had a woman come to me at church one time. This was after I'd already gone on radio. She came to me at church and she said, I want to do what you do. I was shocked. I said, you do? I really couldn't imagine anybody wanting to do these things that I was called to do. You must be called by God to be a minister. It is God who ordains you and anoints you, not man, not yourself, not another preacher. It's God. You must be called by God. Don't touch it unless you're sure you are called by God. After God took Elijah the prophet off the earth and anointed Elisha in his place, the young prophets came to Elisha and asked if they could go hunt Elijah. Second Kings chapter 2. And they said to him, Behold now, there be with thy servants fifty strong men. Let them go, we pray thee, and seek thy master. Seek Elijah. Lest peradventure the Spirit of the Lord hath taken him up and cast him upon some mountain or into some valley. Let us go hunt Elijah. Now Elisha knew Elijah was taken up into heaven. He saw the chariots of fire. So he knew Elijah was removed from this earth. 
So he told these young prophets, Ye shall not send out to hunt for Elijah. Verse 17, But when they urged him till he was ashamed, he said, Go ahead and send. And they sent therefore fifty men, and they sought for Elijah three days, but found him not. And when they came again to Elisha, for he tarried at Jericho, he said unto them, Did I not say unto you, Go not? There are some times that God will tell us something, and we just kind of insist on our own way. And if we do that enough, God will let us go in our own way, and things don't work out well when that happens. The thing to learn is, when you hear from God, do it. There is no counsel against the word of God. So if God gives you a word, and you're sure it's God, there's absolutely no counsel against it. You have to do what God says, though people in your church will often tell you, I don't see how you're doing that. I had one woman who came to me after God told me that judgment has to begin at the house of God. She came to me and said, Is there any way you could be wrong? And I said, No. You have to do it that way because people from your own church group will try to pull you away from the word that you have heard from God. I've had this happen many times in our own church group. In the New Testament church, Jesus says to us, Acts 1 verse 8, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and into the uttermost part of the earth. You will be witnesses to Jesus after the Holy Ghost comes upon you. It's not that you go to a class at church to learn how to witness. Years ago, I was at a copy shop where they make copies of materials for you. I was waiting to use the Xerox machine when a little man came up to me, a little old man, probably in his 70s, and he said to me, Little lady, you didn't happen to park behind that green and gold car out there, did you? And I said, no, sir. He said, well, that's a Baylor car. I said, yes, sir. Baylor is a Baptist university at Waco, Texas. I was living in Dallas. It's a Baptist university, and their colors are green and gold. This is how he introduced himself to me. And then he said, you don't happen to be a Christian, do you? Well, I had been born again about six weeks before this happened, and I was so excited. And I said, oh, yes, I am. And he said, oh, heck, I just joined the witnessing class at First Baptist Church, and you are the first person I chose to witness to. That is not the way we go about witnessing. 
we receive power to witness after the Holy Ghost has come upon us. Now, this is not a one-time thing that the Holy Ghost comes upon us. He lives in us, but he brings to our mind various things. And when he does that, we have the power to witness. For example, I was playing golf with two women, one a Church of Christ member, the other a Methodist. As we walked along the golf course, the Methodist woman began talking to me about people who judge other people. Instantly, the Holy Ghost came upon me and brought me words to speak. And I said to her, If you judge someone is judging, aren't you judging? She went, ah. She was like she pierced her soul. Her heart was pierced by that word. She had been like a hot air balloon pricked with a pen. That is the Holy Ghost coming upon you. In 1982, God told me the time is come that judgment must begin at the house of God. He showed me things that four or five big-time ministers were doing. They were television, radio ministers, and things they were doing that were wrong. And I had to try to get messages to these ministers. When I could not get the message to them, I broadcast the message on my radio broadcast, which went from coast to coast. I named them by name and told what God had shown me that they were doing that was wrong. Then they got the message. I went to Seattle for a meeting, and the radio station manager was outside the meeting room door, and he said to me, Joan, you have many good messages. Just speak those messages. If you continue to speak these judgment messages, I don't know what's going to happen to you. We may have to put you off the air. At that second, the Holy Ghost came upon me, and I said to him, George, if I don't speak the message that I believe to be from God, then I don't have a message, and I may as well be put off the air. See, that's the power of God. Any time that the Holy Spirit rises up in us to speak, whether it's a scripture or a concept, we speak, and that's the power of God to witness to the truth of God. So Acts 1, Jesus says, But ye shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. We don't try to be a witness. We speak that which God brings up to our mind. And when we speak that and yield to the Holy Spirit, we are a witness. And the work of God is done. Thank you for allowing me 
to speak with you today.